Oh, oh, thank you. If you uh, don't have a Bible, you do need one today. You probably need them every Sunday, I think, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> By the way, if you doubt the Word of God at all today, you know, you should come to the Turkey Bowl <laughs> because it will convince you of the truth that the outer man is decaying. And you're going to see in the adult team a bunch of decayed old men trying to play football. So, uh, you know, wisdom does count for something, but I don't think football. I'm not sure about that one. Anyway, that should be uh, hilarious to watch. So if you're in a bad mood, go to the Turkey Bowl and you will laugh yourself into a good mood. A couple of things. um, Let's see. Here we are. Um, Connie and I, if you don't know us, we are uh, serving with Global Training Network. We go all over the world, and our joy is to train national pastors. Uh, We've done this in Ethiopia and China and Hong Kong and uh, Sri Lanka, Nepal. All over the world we go to train pastors so that they can continue the work of the Great Commission in their country. And we're finding that this is much more effective than us trying to go do as Americans a Great Commission in those countries, but rather to equip them so that they can do it effectively. Um, So tonight at 6.30 at our house, we're having a little dessert where we're going to share what's happened over 2017, just some of the blessings of the the ministry, how God has uh, sustained us and used us. And if you're interested, there's a couple of ways you can find out. My wife will be at a little table back there, and she can give you our address and directions. Uh, Or if you take down that phone number, if you text us, we'll text you back with directions. So if you'd like to come, we'd love to have you. I think it'll be very encouraging, and we'd love to see you. Also, if you're not on our email list, we'd also like to encourage you to jump on that, because that's how we keep people up to date with what we're doing. So let's uh, look to God in prayer, and then we're going to get ready to dig into his word. Father in heaven, I just pray that you'd help us in Jesus' name to calm our hearts and our spirits right now, to allow your spirit to use his word to come in and actually change us from the inside out. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I've got some good news and bad news for you. Over the next uh, six weeks, we're going to be celebrating two of the most cherished holidays in America, right? Thanksgiving and Christmas. That's actually both the good news and the bad news. For for some of us, uh, the celebration of Thanksgiving is a time of renewing tension, uh, having expectations get... uh, lost and we're disappointed in how things turn out. A lot of times anger comes up in these kind of situations. In other words, I see more depression and discouragement in November and December than at any other time of the year. Uh, it's, it's a very difficult time for people, for a lot of people. For some of us, it's great. But for others of us, it just, we actually kind of limp into the new year about 10 pounds heavier and uh, but our spirits are weighed down even more. And I want to suggest today a change. Normally, we wait till the New Year's to make our resolutions. And that way, by the end of January, we can already have forgotten them and gone on to something else. 
You know, by the way, 92% of the people in America after three weeks have either abandoned or forgotten their New Year's resolution. So this is a, a kind of a different approach. And I want to suggest a change for you. And I want to give you the context for the change there. Life is actually not that complicated. There are two very simple priorities for life that is meaningful. And when I say meaningful, I mean meaningful for the kingdom of God and meaningful for making a difference in the lives of others and also a life that is satisfying. The first is your relationship with God. Uh, Your relationship with God deals with areas of your life that no one else sees. For example, honestly, you don't know if I'm walking by the Spirit right now. You could say, well, you're preaching a sermon. What else would you be doing? I want to tell you, there's a lot of pastors across this country who are preaching in the power of the flesh. They're They're depending on their talents. They're depending on their wisdom. And they're just preaching sermons. But they are not inwardly walking with God. And so here's what I want you to understand in that first point. The most important part of your life is the part that no one else will ever see. They'll see the effects for good or bad, but they won't see that actual inward relationship with God. The second priority is your relationships with those whom God has placed in your life. If you want to have a life that is going to be meaningful and significant, these need to be pushed to the top of your priority list. But so often, you guys, they're the ones that get the dredges of our time. So what we're talking about is an opportunity for the next six weeks. It's kind of funny. Thomas Edison said that a lot of us miss opportunities because opportunities become dressed like overalls and they look like work. That's why when we see opportunities, they they so often come disguised as challenges, and they always come, oh man, that's going to be a lot of work if I'm going to try to do this stuff. But I want to tell you, the things we're going to share this morning can make a huge difference in your life. And there are two very simple commands I want to share with you. Number one is I want to encourage you to obsessively Center your life around Jesus Christ. Normally, we think of obsession as a bad word, but I want to tell you something. If you become obsessed with having Jesus Christ in the center so that flowing out from that center, he affects every relationship, every conversation, every goal, every agenda item, your life is going to be blessed. And then the second challenge I want to share with you this morning is to actively serve others and to become a peacemaker. We're going to talk about what that looks like. So let's jump in. We're turning to 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. This is one of these scriptures that for many of us is kind of a flyover scripture. We we read it and we think, oh, that'd make a great bumper sticker. Or we read it and we say, that should be on a Hallmark card. That's so sweet. And we just kind of blow by it because it's short, it's to the point. But if you don't slow down and let it sink in, you're going to miss the power that's here. Paul gives us three commands. By the way, these are all commands to be obeyed. They're not suggestions for a happy life. They are commands to please God. 
1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, Rejoice always. 1 Thessalonians 5.7. By the way, if you, want, if you say you can't memorize Scripture, everybody say, Rejoice always. Okay, you just memorized a verse. Okay, this, this is a great place to start memorizing Scripture. You get a lot of positive feedback. He goes on and he says, pray without ceasing. And then thirdly, he says, in everything give thanks, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. A couple of things I want to talk about these commands globally. Number one, all three of these commands are in the present tense. And maybe some of you didn't know, maybe most of you did know, the original language the Greek was, uh, that the New Testament was written in is Greek. And in the Greek language, the present tense has the idea of a continuing action. In other words, Paul isn't asking you to make a decision and then to go on from there. If we were to translate this according to the Greek language, we would say, rejoice always and keep on rejoicing. Pray without ceasing. And keep on praying. In everything, give thanks and keep on giving thanks. Now, here's what I want you to understand. There's a book that was written based on a group of letters in the 1600s called The Practice of the Presence of God. This man, his name was Brother Lawrence, and his whole passion, he was actually writing to one man, and his, his whole passion was to help this one man learn to live every moment of his life saturated with the presence of God. And that's what these three verses are going to do for you. All of them are about bringing every experience of your life to Jesus Christ. Now let's take the first, or the other thing that's important are these adverbs or the descriptions. Rejoice always. Pray without ceasing. In everything, give thanks. Do you get the idea that Paul is trying to help us understand something here? These are to become the breathing exercises of our life. So let's jump into the first one, rejoice always. This is a command, and it's a command for us to do at all times. David said in Psalm 34, 1, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Now, think about this for a second. What is it that we should be rejoicing in when we're rejoicing in the Lord? I got a cool hint from Jesus himself when he had, he was talking to the 70 disciples that he had sent out. Do you remember that story? He sent out the 70 to do ministry in his name, and all of the 70 guys came back, and they were so stoked. They came back, Jesus, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And it's like, Jesus, kind of, okay, calm down, guys. I know you're excited. They're all, I can just see them just jumping up and down. This is awesome. And G- here's what Jesus said to him. Don't rejoice because the demons are subject to my name. Rejoice that your name is written in the book of life. Now, here's the key to understanding the difference between rejoicing and thanksgiving. Rejoicing in the Lord is focusing on the things that you have because of who Jesus is and what he's done for you 
that can never be taken away. Now, let me repeat that. To rejoice in the Lord is to celebrate the things you have because of who Jesus is and what he's done that can never be taken away. Now, I love Thanksgiving, but when I was pastoring, we would have Thanksgiving services. And it was interesting to hear people's testimony. I thank God for my family. I thank God for my house. I thank God for the job he's given me. I thank God for that he's met all of our needs financially. And those are all great things to, be, to celebrate, right? But do you realize they're all things that can be taken away? And all of those things could be taken away, and God would still be faithful. Think of the tragedy in Texas. This is hard truth. But think of yourself as the pastor who was out of visiting another church that day, and his 14-year-old daughter is killed. I have a hard question for you. Is God faithful? Yes. He is faithful to that pastor. But here's the problem. If all of our rejoicing is in temporal things, I'm so glad I've got a family. I'm so glad I've got a house. I'm so glad I've got a job. Then when those things are taken away, the source of our joy is gone because we've been using those things as the source of our joy rather than the things we have in Christ. When you learn how to rejoice, you're going to discover something that the joy of the Lord is your strength. And I want to encourage you, if you've got note paper, I'd like you to write down these scriptures because these are rejoice prompters. These are scriptures that can help you learn how to rejoice. For example, one, Ephesians 1, 3 through 14 is a song of praise from Paul to God. And in that psalm of praise that he writes, he thanks God for what God the Father did for him. He thanks God for what God the Son did for him. And he thanks God for, for what God the Holy Spirit did for him. And all of those things that he lists are things that time or people cannot touch. Romans 8 begins with there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Hey, can anything change that? Let me, uh, two of you thought that's true. Can anything change the fact that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Absolutely. He closes Romans 8 with nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Can anything change that? See, this is what needs to be at the foundation of our joy. This is what needs to be the driving force of our life and our relationship with God, not things that will change. Because if you're glad in God for things that will change, then guess what? Your happiness and your joy will go up and down along with circumstances. These things will teach you to celebrate God and to thank Him and to rejoice in Him for the things in your life that will never change. And they become a foundation for gratitude for things that do change. I praise God for my wife. 
I really do. 41 years together. I like that. Or 42? 42, yeah. <laughs> Maybe she's not praising God for me right now. But, but anyway, as crazy as it sounds, that's not the foundation of my joy. The foundation of my joy is that I'm a child of God. I've been redeemed. My sins have been forgiven. I have a future in heaven. I have the Holy Spirit living within me. See, all of these things are the source of rejoicing. So I I would encourage you, as you're learning how to rejoice, to begin to take one of these scriptures each day, meditate on them, and let that be the core of your rejoicing for that day. Then, here's the key, share that thing that you're rejoicing in with someone who doesn't know Jesus. Let's see how this works. You're celebrating that your sins are forgiven, and uh, the Starbucks hostess says, have a nice day, and you say, I will, because my sins are forgiven. Now, she'll look at you like you're nuts, right? (laughs) But that's okay, because as Christians, we're supposed to be slightly off kilter from the world, right? And if you just go, oh, uh, let's do, you know, and you just walk out, there's no witness in that. People think you're a nice guy. They'll probably think you're a Mormon if you're a nice guy. You see that? We're not bearing witness for Jesus Christ when we just go along with the current and the conversation of the world. So take these, and then when you share them, what you're going to find is that joy deepens the more you share them. It just increases your sense of happiness, really. Here's what David said, and I love this one. He says, he put a new song in my heart, in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Now look at that last line. Many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. When will people trust in the Lord? When they hear you singing the song of God that he has put in your heart. Now, thank good God for a lot of us. We don't have to physically sing it. We can say it. All right. Maybe some of us aren't such great singers. But the great thing is that when you sing the song of God coming out of your mouth and out of your heart, you are going to see your life making a greater and greater difference in other people. All right, let's move on. Second command, pray without ceasing. Your starting point every day is rejoicing in the Lord. From there, as you move through the day, every situation, every emotion that you face, every difficulty that you encounter, everything that, oh, man, that, that becomes a subject for prayer. So when should I pray? Pray when I'm angry. Pray when I'm happy. Pray when I'm disappointed. Pray when I'm struggling with life. Pray when I'm weak and I I don't feel like I can go on anymore. In other words, at all times, in all circumstances, in every situation of life, take that to the Lord. Pray without ceasing. And this, you guys, this becomes really exciting when you start getting this down. Because you're walking into an office and you're, you're going to have a, 
a difficult conversation with maybe an employee or your employer. And you just shoot one up to God right there. You don't have to close your eyes, thank goodness. You don't have to fold your hands. You don't have to bow your... You don't have to do any of this. You just pray right to God. God, right now, help me to be Jesus in this meeting. Help me to reflect the love of Christ with this person that I can't stand. You ever had those kind of meetings? You know, I'm really happy that the Bible never commanded us to like everybody. You notice that? Never says like one another. You know, there's a lot of you I don't like. Just kidding. Uh, But he did command us to love one another. Why? Because love isn't speaking about the emotions. It's speaking about the actions. And so we just start praying. And one of the things as you read the Psalms, as I was preparing for this uh, message, I just did this rapid read of the Psalms. And I can't believe how many emotions David brings to God. We see angry David. We see discouraged David. We see depressed David. We see joyful David. We see David in every, every circumstance of life. And what's he's doing? He's bringing it to God. And I want to quote to you from Brother Andrew. He, he, it's really funny because he's back in the 1600s. And so everything they said was flowery. And he says, don't talk in flowery language to God. Speak plainly, simply, clearly, and honestly. And some of us, when we pray, we think we're praying to William Shakespeare. You know, <laughs> oh God, thou art great in the heavens, and there is no one like thee, and thou hast givest me thy handeth in, and whatsoever I goest. And, and it's really... Well, I can't say awesome because that's too up to date, you know, but you get the idea. We feel like we have to shift back to the 16th century in order to communicate with this God. He understands hip language. Guess what? <laughs> I always, all my life, I've kept a prayer journal. And when I was in, I go back and I read from the ninth grade. It's really funny because I'm, I'm writing down the side in huge letters. God, you are so awesome, you know, and it's. God actually likes that. He likes it when what's really in our heart comes out. And so praying without ceasing is getting into the habit of bringing everything you're going through to the Lord. 1 Peter 5, 6, and 7 says, Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, casting all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. So we just pray And we pray and we keep on praying. Let's go on to the third one. Paul writes, in everything give thanks. I'm really happy he doesn't say, for everything give thanks. He doesn't say, oh, you got an auto accident. Oh, God, thank you for this auto accident. I'm just so happy that you did. It's it's not a, a denial of life. But it's in every circumstance. Give thanks. So it might be, God, I had an accident. It's a bummer. But I thank you that even here you are with me. Even here your perfect will is being worked out in my life. And so, God, I thank you. And it's thank you. know, you guys, 
this will sound funny to you, but Connie goes down to visit her mother, who's about 70 miles away. She goes to visit our daughter, who's 99 miles away. Every time she goes, I pray for her. I pray for her on the freeway. I pray for her safety. You know what? When she gets there, I thank God that he allowed her to arrive, arrive safely. Now, this is, these are temporal things, but I'm into thanking God now. And that's where you're just thanking God for all of the things that he does. There's, there's an amazing old hymn. It was written in the 30s. The music isn't great, but the words are amazing. Count your many blessings. Name them one by one. And it will surprise you what the Lord has done. You guys, the most powerful antidote for depression and discouragement is thanksgiving. And I want to encourage you, if you battle discouragement or depression especially, begin a thanksgiving journal where every day you write down five things that you're thankful for. And the next day, write five new things. And the next day, write five new things. I guarantee you, in a week, your heart will be on the road to changing. It's powerful when we learn this. A lack of gratitude is a sign of a selfish heart. And uh, the people of Exodus were a generation that God did more for them than any other generation in history except the generation where Jesus Christ lived. And all they could do was complain. God takes them through the Red Sea They get on the other side, no water. Oh, God, did you bring us here to kill us? God gives them water. There's no food. God, did you bring us here to kill us? God gives them manna. We're sick of this manna, God. Did you bring us here to kill us? And all through, the children of Israel are asking God, did you bring us here to kill us? 20 times the word grumble is used to describe the children of Israel's attitude towards God. And I got to tell you something. They were the most wicked generation of Jews in in history. You guys, some of you blow this off and you say, well, I'm just a glass half empty kind of person. No, you're a complainer. (laughs) All right? We need to stop calling things and sugarcoating them we need to start calling them for what they are. Now, are some people more realistic and more, some people more optimistic? Yeah, that's fine. But does the more realistic person have a right to be a grumbler and a complainer and an Eeyore for the entire life? No, they don't. God gave them the command to rejoice in the Lord and to in everything give thanks. Just like those who are optimistic have the challenge to trust God and believe him in the difficult times of life and to start, stop freaking out when things go wrong because they weren't prepared for it. So just because you're wired a certain way does not set you free from the challenge of doing this. What will Thanksgiving do to you? There, there are three powerful things. And if you have some paper, write these down because it's powerful. First, Thanksgiving will draw your heart to God. When you learn to specifically thank God continually and consistently, you're going to find your heart being set on fire towards God. Secondly, Thanksgiving builds faith. 
This is why Paul says, by the way, in anxiety-producing situations, he says, let your, bring your request to God with faith. Or with thanksgiving, I'm sorry. Why does he say with thanksgiving? Because the thanksgiving reminds you of the faithfulness of God, which builds faith. And the third thing that thanksgiving will do is restore perspective. Let's move on. The first three things we've talked about are things that people will generally not see. They'll see the results of them in your life. Now, they, they will see your rejoicing. They'll see your thanksgiving. But what's going on in your heart, they're not going to see. So how do we translate this the last few weeks of this year into something that's really going to make a difference in our relationships, our marriages, our relationships with our kids, our relationships with our families? Romans 12, 9, I just pulled a couple of things out of here. It's really interesting. Paul says, first of all, let love be without hypocrisy. In other words, don't love people with ulterior motives. Don't love people to get what you want. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And verse 10, through love, Paul says. Uh, actually, that's Galatians 5, through love. Serve one another. Love, very simply defined, is putting the interests and needs and desires of other people ahead of your own. Not on the same par with your own, but ahead of your own. So, parents, you get a call from your kids, oh, mom and dad, I'm sorry, but... The in-laws invited us to dinner and uh, Thanksgiving dinner, and we're going to kind of go there. Oh, I'm sorry. And, and you see, most of us will pull out the martyr card. It's okay. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll be okay. Just, just go do what you want anyway. That's what you always do. You just do what you want. Just go do it. And, and, and the goal of that behavior is to make your children feel as horribly as they can possibly feel because of what they've done to you. Is that love? Huh. That's raw, unadulterated wickedness. We need to call it for what it is. It's utter and complete selfishness. It's saying to your children, I will only love you and bless you if... You do what I want you to do. See, you guys, we just blow by this stuff. Oh, yeah, I love my kids. Do you really? Do you bless them even when they're not doing what you want them to do? Or is your love manipulative trying to get them to squeeze into what you want them to do and see and feel? Now, I want to take you to the key passage of this half, and we're going to close with this. James 3, 13 through 18 is an amazing passage that contrasts Satan's wisdom with God's wisdom. And they are diabolically opposed to each other. By the way, can I just say, this is why our counsel ought not to be coming from the ungodly. Because John was very clear when he said, the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. So when I go to 
people who don't know Jesus for counsel, what am I doing? I'm saying, Satan, I need your direction. Now, I know that's harsh, but I think we need to come to realize that God's wisdom and Satan's wisdom are absolutely opposed to each other. So in 13 through 16, James describes Satan's wisdom, but now he describes God's wisdom. Listen to these words. The wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, reasonable. In other words, you can sit down and you can have an important conversation without people flying off the handle. You can actually talk with people. It's full of mercy. In other words, you give people a break. It's full of good fruits. It's unwavering. There's, there's a moral center to your wisdom, and it's without hypocrisy. Now, let me comment on a couple of these things just so you understand what we're talking about. The wisdom that God wants to give you First, he calls it pure, and then he adds in later, without hypocrisy. What this means is in a relationship, you will be the kind of person who says what you mean and means what you say. But there are some people who love truth because truth is like this huge machete that they can go hacking through relationships. Well, I'm just speaking the truth. Hack, hack, hack. And there's blood, metaphorical blood, all over the floor. Because you were just speaking the truth. Well, you see, there's these crazy words like gentle, peaceable, reasonable, full of mercy. And so, and so these words govern and guide the way you speak truth to each other. You don't speak truth to hurt. You speak truth to heal. You don't speak truth to, quote, unquote, get it off your chest. It's kind of like you volcanically erupting, and you go, oh, I feel better, and everybody else has got lava all over them, okay? <laughs> That's not what speaking the truth is. It's speaking the truth in a peaceable, gentle, reasonable way. Now, here's the key. A lot of times at the end of the year, we get together with people we don't see very often. And I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but it's like all of the old habits of your life come back when you get with people. Do you know what I'm talking about? You go, why did I say that? I haven't said that for 20 years. And you're just... You're being weird and mean and hurtful, and you're actually not even understanding what you're doing yourself. This is where thinking through these things before you get into the situations can give you enormous wisdom. For example, as you see the emotional temperature of a conversation rising, you have two choices. You've got your can of gasoline over here, Or you can calm the conversation. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs it up. And so you say, well, they hurt me. I have a right to hurt them. I hope you drop that ethic in the third grade. 
Remember when your, your kids are arguing, why did you hit Johnny? What does he always say? He hit me first. So the underlying philosophy of that is other people's ungodliness gives me a, an opportunity to respond in ungodliness. Again, that's pure wickedness. That's not God's way. So I just want to draw this together now for us and just kind of put things in real simple terms. If if you're asking, what do I do going away with this? The first thing I would encourage you to do is to study those rejoicing scriptures. Probably just pick one a day and start making it the focus of that day so that your day is starting off with a sense of rejoicing in the Lord. You guys, I've been doing this, and i got to tell you, it makes a huge difference in my life if I rejoice in the Lord. Huge difference. And though the next day you take another one, and again, the key is always to attempt to share what you're rejoicing with with somebody else, especially somebody who doesn't know Jesus. Second, Start practicing, and this takes practice, getting in the habit of praying about everything. You're walking out, and you're having lunch, and the, the people undercooked your lunch. It's terrible. We have a chance. Am I going to be mean-spirited? Am I going to be a complainer? Am I going to be angry? Or I'm going to be godly and even bless that person knowing that they're probably doing the best they can. Now, some of you are saying, well, I'm just a half-empty glass kind of guy. And so i got to tell it like it is. Well, no, you don't. You're a follower of Jesus. And Paul says, let everything you do be done in love. Thirdly, intentionally become a person who's thankful to God and thankful to each other. At least five times a week. If you've got kids, at least five times a week, you need to catch them doing something right and thank them for that. Do you know they did studies and they found out that nine out of things that we say to our children, nine out of ten things that we say to our children are negative in nature? Pointing out what they didn't do, pointing out how they failed us, pointing out how they're, they're losing in our eyes. How are kids going to grow up with that? Third, and this is uh, actually kind of gold if you take this and try to identify your most difficult relationships. Some of you are thinking, oh, that'll take about 10 seconds. Okay, I've got them. All right. So you've got your most difficult relationships identified. Begin to journal specific ideas before you see that person as to how you can demonstrate the love of Christ to them. PWC, pray without ceasing. When your conversations become sinful, journal out what happened. You'll discover incredible wisdom as you sit down and you write out what happened to make this go south. And then the final piece of wisdom that has really helped me is learn to anticipate sinful patterns. Have you seen certain things where you can almost predict that things are going to go south? 
you don't have to just walk into that blind and unarmed, you know. You can actually anticipate and uh, do better at spelling than I did. Pre-make the decidian to change your attitude. In other words, you actually think in advance, God, I want to change. I do not want to respond like Steve Larson's flesh in this conversation. And you will be amazed at how you can actually change relationships by changing yourself. This is a really powerful principle. You can change relationships by changing yourself. So my prayer, this has been kind of a a simple, just a... I'm not old enough to be your granddad, but kind of a, a guy who has gone through life and made a ton of mistakes. And the more I've learned from Scripture the more I've learned that if I will just walk according to God's ways, the more blessed I am. And that's what I would love to see for you for November and December. I I would love to hear at the end of this year that you say, I had the best Thanksgiving we've ever had. We had the greatest Christmas celebration we've ever had. Our family was so different. And what would really be fun is if you could see the difference being the fact that you made the choice to be a peacemaker in that situation. So, Father, I pray that you'd get us excited about actually changing the way things always happen and not not just going the way we've always gone. Father, I pray that there would be an excitement about being your people and being peacemakers in every situation of life. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.